Welcome to the A Catholic Life Podcast. I am Matthew, the author of A Catholic Life, welcoming you to episode 38 of the A Catholic Life Podcast. In today's episode, on the 23rd Sunday after Pentecost, I address the following topics. First, the octave of all saints, the current octave we're in, which is unfortunately a very forgotten part of our tradition. Two, the upcoming feast days this week, and especially those which have a connection with this forgotten octave. Three, corresponding with one of those feast days, the importance of church consecrations. Why do we honor churches? What part of the consecration of a church ceremony is actually the most sacred? How did people used to prepare for church consecrations? That and much more I cover. And lastly, I cover Martin Mass. Coming up this Saturday, November 11th, is Martin Mass, the true Catholic Thanksgiving. But before we get into these important topics, I'd like to stop and thank the sponsor for today's episode. This episode is sponsored by PrayLatin.com. PrayLatin.com offers Latin prayer cards to learn and share prayers in the sacred language. Learn your basic prayers in Latin conveniently on the go. Practice your pronunciation with easy-to-follow English phonetic renderings of Latin words. PrayLatin.com offers prayer cards in various formats, including Latin-English rosary pamphlets with the traditional 15 mysteries. Shop for additional Latin resources like missile booklets, server response cards, and much more. So please visit PrayLatin.com today and thank them for sponsoring this episode. On to the first topic of this uh, episode. It's important, I think, that we reflect that we are actually in the octave of all saints. Now, this is a part of our tradition which, unfortunately, has been significantly forgotten due to the changes that occurred in the Church's liturgy even before Vatican II. So, a brief history of octaves. Around the 8th century, Rome had developed liturgical octaves not only for Easter, Pentecost, and Christmas, but also for the Epiphany and for the Feast of the Dedication of a Church. After 1568, when Pope St. Pius V reduced the number of octaves, which had grown considerably by that point, the number of octaves was still plentiful. Octaves were classified into several types. Easter and Pentecost had specially privileged octaves, during which no other feast whatsoever could be celebrated. Christmas, Epiphany, and Corpus Christi had privileged octaves during which certain highly ranked feats might be celebrated. So we had specially privileged versus privileged. And the octave as other feasts also were still in place, which allowed even more feasts to be celebrated. To reduce the repetition of the same liturgy for several days, Pope Leo XIII and Pope St. Pius X made further distinctions, classifying octaves into three primary types. Privileged octaves, common octaves, and simple octaves. Privileged octaves were arranged in a hierarchy of first, second, and third orders. Now, for the first half of the 20th century, this is how octaves were well known by the faithful. Unfortunately, in 1955, significant changes in the Church's liturgy occurred under Pope Pius XII, and one of those casualties was the elimination of virtually all octaves. The only octaves that remained were Pentecost, and Easter, and Christmas. Pentecost and Easter are the highest ranking of them all. Now, part of those casualties was the loss of the octave of all saints. And that's why, if you look at the 1962 calendar, that's why there's so many feria days this week, because those were days celebrated specifically 
as part of the octave of All Saints. Now, what we can do as traditional Catholics is that we can still honor the colic prayer from the Mass of All Saints, adding it to our morning prayers, our evening prayers, and in that way we can help live out and prayerfully consider that we are still in this traditional and long-lasting octave. The octave stretched back several centuries to when it was first added to the Church's calendar. Now, the the, uh, colic prayer from the Feast of All Saints is as follows. Almighty and eternal God, through your grace we honor the merits of all your saints in the one solemn feast of today. Grant us the abundant mercy of the we ask of you through this army of heavenly intercessors. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. So please consider adding that to all of your prayers during this octave through November 8th. Now, after... Um, you know, after uh, November 1st, of course, we had All Souls Day. And unfortunately, as I noted, the 1962 calendar doesn't have a whole lot of other saints. Of course, St. Charles Borromeo was celebrated on November 4th, a truly great champion of the Church's liturgy, of traditional Catholicism, of, as seen through the Catechism, and so much more of the Ambrosian Rite as well. But November 5th, uh, today, if it was not a Sunday, I think it's important to reflect on there's actually some places that would keep this as the feast of the sacred relics. And one of the things I like reflecting on on the website A Catholic Life is a lot of these forgotten masses in some places. Now, listed in the pre-1962 Missal is this often unknown feast, that of the sacred relics. This was a mass in some places and not universally celebrated, but the great liturgist Dom Geringer recounts the spirituality of the feast. And I'll have a link to that, of course, through the feast days uh, page that I link to in my show notes. Please go read that and understand the importance of venerating and, and honoring the sacred relics. So when we honor the relics of the saints here on earth, we have to remember that these are people who are actually in heaven right now. Yes, we might be venerating their bone or, or their hair or their whole skeleton or their heart, but their soul is in heaven, and we know that their spirit sees God. They possess the beatific vision. When we're seeing and honoring their remains here on earth, they can pray for us in heaven because they actually see God face to face. There are different kinds of relics. There's first-class relics, there's second-class, and there's third-class. First-class relics are actually pieces of the saint. You know, they're bones. Uh, their hair, for instance, the whole skeleton. Second-class relics are things that saints owned. They might be the missile that uh, a saint uh, used. It might be their hat, uh, the chair that they sat in, different things that they used and touched in their own life. And third-class relics, the most common, are, are really anything that we touch to first- or second-class relics with the intention of making them a relic. So rosaries can be third-class relics, uh, as well as different prayer cards as well. Those are some of the most common relics you might find, or third-class relics. And it's important, though, to honor uh, all of these different relics, because they truly are either piece of the saint, connected to the saint, though, in some way, and the saint is truly in heaven right now. So this particular day, I think I'd ask for everybody to honor and prayerfully consider the importance of relics, especially to repudiate the errors of Protestants who attacked relics, who actually went out and destroyed them during the Reformation. is quite heinous what they did. Uh, you know, that's basically as grievous as going to cemeteries and, and digging up the dead and insulting them. They actually destroyed their remains. is quite revolting, really. So let us make also some reparation today for those sins.
November 8th is the commemoration of the four crown martyrs. It's also the traditional octave day of All Saints when this actually ends. And the church, of course, too, is asking us to go to cemeteries uh, for um, from November 2nd through November 8th. So uh, throughout this week beforehand, continue to visit a cemetery. Even for a few minutes, you can pray even mentally, and you can gain an indulgence for the poor souls in purgatory, a plenary one, if, of course, you meet the conditions for a plenary indulgence. So keep that in mind. We always think about going to cemeteries on All Souls Day, but this continues for several days after that. So please make an intention to visit different cemeteries to gain that indulgence as well through the Octave Day of All Saints. But as mentioned, November 8th is also the commemoration of the four crown martyrs. According to the Golden Legend, the names of these four saints were not known at the time of their death, but were learned through the Lord's revelation after many years has passed. They were called the four crown martyrs because their names were unknown, crown referring to the crown of martyrdom. Now, this group of saints actually involves two groups. There's a first group of four saints, and according to the Passion of St. Sebastian, the four saints were soldiers who refused to offer sacrifice and were therefore killed by Emperor Diocletian. And this was two years after the death of five sculptors. Now, the sculptors were the second group of these uh, crown martyrs. Uh, they were killed as well because they refused to fashion a pagan statue for Emperor Diocletian or to offer sacrifice to the Roman gods, and the emperor ordered them to be placed alive in lead coffins and thrown in the sea around the year 287. Um, regardless, though, of their exact names, we pray for their intercession and all who died for the faith, and may they and all the saints on that octave day truly intercede for us in our world, which is so much in need of the Catholic faith. The next day, November 9th, is the Feast of the Dedication of the Archbasilica of Our Savior, St. John Lateran. And this particular feast day, the whole Art Mother of the Church triumphantly celebrates the dedication of this basilica, the Archbasilica of Our Savior. Of course, it's commonly called the Basilica of St. John Lateran. Its association with the name of Lateran is due to the fact that the church was in ancient times occupied by the palace of the Lateran family. So this is taken from the website of the Passionate Nuns. Quote, The palace of the Lateran belonged then to Constantine's wife. After his conversion, the emperor gave it to the pope as his private residence and founded it in the church of the Lateran, which became the mother and the mistress of all the churches of Rome and of the world. It was dedicated to Christ our Savior by Pope St. Sylvester on November 9th, 324. In the 12th century, it was given, as its second title, St. John the Baptist, whose name was also that of the ancient baptistry connected with the church. Hence, the present name of the basilica, St. John Lateran. The first basilica having been destroyed, it was rebuilt in the 10th century by Sergius III and consecrated by Benedict Thirteenth in 1726, end quote. The proper of the Mass for this particular feast day, as well as for the anniversary of the consecration of the church, begins with the words taken from the introit words taken from Genesis twenty eight seventeen, which begins Terrible is this place, it is the house of God and the gate of heaven, and it should be called the court of God. The meaning of the word terrible is derived from the Latin word terre, meaning awesome or awestruck, signifying the amazement one should feel in the presence of Almighty God, the creator and ruler of the universe. However, far from seeming awestruck, modern man often forsakes reverence and downplays the grandeur of God who dwells among us in the tabernacle. 
Now, this particular feast day also is an important day to call to mind the importance of all church consecrations, not only St. John Lateran, which is actually the Pope's uh, the cathedral. It's not uh, St. Peter's Basilica. A lot of people think that, but the Pope's cathedral, uh, as Bishop of Rome, is St. John Lateran. But all churches are worthy of honor because they are truly consecrated places. Now, as I discussed in an article in the past on the Fatima Center, there's a distinction between blessings and consecrations. The Roman pontifical mentions five consecrations. Bishops, altars, altar stones, churches, and chalices along with patents. Now, the ceremonies for the consecration of a church are elaborate and beautiful, underscoring that these structures are truly consecrated for God's worship alone and that they must never be defiled. For that reason, to sin inside of a church is a greater sin, and you would need to confess that. It was our Lord, after all, who overturned the moneylender's table when they sought to profane the temple, showing us that God's house on this earth is to be treated with us most reverence. For instance, if one were to steal, that would need to be confessed, of course. But if one were to steal in a church, one needs to add that it took place in a church because it's a much more grievous sin. Now, for those who have not witnessed the consecration of the church, you can read the prayers from this ceremony. And the ceremony uh, is quite elaborate. It includes the recitation of the seven penitential psalms, the invocation of the saints, a procession around the church building in imitation of Joshua, the striking of the door by the crozier. Ashes are spread across the floor, uh, and the bishop in a particularly symbolic ceremony, uses his crozier to write out the letters of the Greek alphabet in ashes on one diagonal line before inscribing the letters of the Roman alphabet in ashes on the other diagonal line through it. He also blesses the holy water and consecrates the altar, which involves various anointings with holy oils and setting the altar stone in the altar. He also fashions incense into five cross candles, which are lit and burned in the altar in a particularly dramatic scene. Now, in which part of the ceremony is the church actually consecrated, though? I don't think a lot of people talk about that. And the Catholic Encyclopedia, though, provides a good answer. It says, quote, The essence of the consecration of the church consists in the anointing of the twelve crosses on the inner walls. According to a decree of the Sacred Congregation of Rites dated April 12, 1614, if before this ceremony the consecrator could become, should become incapacitated and unable to finish the function, the whole rite must be repeated from the beginning. These crosses are not to be of wood or of any fragile material. They must never be removed, and the documents failing, they serve to prove that the church has been consecrated. Under each cross, a bracket holding a candle is affixed. End quote. Now, these ceremonies, which often take several hours to perform before the start of the actual Mass, are essential in setting aside the building for the worship of the one true God. Now, among the casualties of the past 60 years has been the loss of fasting. I've talked about that a lot before. And one of the aspects of fasting that has not been retained until only recently before the Second Vatican Council was the notion that those who request a church to be consecrated in addition to the bishop were asked to fast and implore God's mercy the day uh, immediately before the consecration. As such, the day before consecration used to be a required day of fasting for these people. Father Dominic Pruner in Moral Theology, published in 1949, states, quote, On the day previous to the consecration of a church, both the bishop and the people who ask for the church to be consecrated must fast. This is laid down in the Roman pontifical, end quote. 
Traditionally, the anniversary of the consecration of a diocese's cathedral is observed as a significant feast day in churches throughout the diocese. Written in 1908, the Catholic Encyclopedia also mentions this, saying, quote, The anniversary of the consecration is kept solemnly as a double of the first class, with an octave each recurring year, until the church falls into ruin or is profaned. Besides the anniversary of the consecration of individual or parish churches, the anniversary of the consecration of the cathedral of a diocese is celebrated as a double of the first class with an octave by the secular clergy living within the limits of the cathedral city. As I somewhat mentioned at the beginning of this episode, Pope Pius XII, sadly, on March 23, 1955, abolished 15 octaves. One of those was the octave for the dedication of the church and particular octaves for patrons of various religious orders, countries, and dioceses. So that octave, unfortunately, went away at that time. But one venerable tradition connecting us to the consecration of the church is the lighting of those consecration churches. At each of the 12 places on the wall which are anointed as part of the consecration, the candle on this spot is traditionally lit on the anniversary of his consecration. And I think that's very important for us to keep in mind. Going on to the last topic of this episode, which I'll only have a chance to talk about briefly, is Martin Mass. Next week we'll be discussing in significant detail the Advent Fast, which is coming up very soon. Traditionally, Martin Mass is the Catholic Thanksgiving, and it's also essentially a second Mardi Gras. So November 12th is when the Advent Fast traditionally begins because traditionally the Advent Fast, which was known as St. Martin's Lent, was a 40-day fast, not including Sundays, up until Christmas. So Martin Mass was a great day of charity and a great day to celebrate. Now this year, because November 12th is a Sunday, the actual beginning of the fast will be November 13th. So next week's episode will be all about St. Martin's Lent. But for now, I ask you to plan ahead for November 11th, this upcoming Saturday, and to celebrate it. Now, November 11th arrives each year, and we're accustomed to see civic displays of patriotism and honor for our nation's veterans on this day. Originally known as Armistice Day, in honor of the ending of World War I, which concluded on the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month, The United States in 1954 amended the holiday to include a remembrance of all the living and dead of the nation's veterans, and the name was subsequently changed to Veterans Day on June 1, 1954. However, to the Catholic, November 11th is more than just a day to honor the nation's veterans, and even more than a day to pray for the souls of those who died in battle for the country's defense. November 11th is the Feast of St. Martin de Tours, the great worker of charity to a, who is said to have raised three people from the dead, at least. Known as Martin Mass, this day is of celebration, and it features numerous festivities in honor of the life and charity of St. Martin de Tours, and is still celebrated by some Catholics who keep the traditional of life of carrying lanterns and eating a traditional meal of goose on this day. Now, of course, goose is not allowed in years when November 11th falls on a Friday, but this year, considering it is such an important day, it would, I believe, take precedence over the old former practice of Saturday abstinence. So if you can, it would be a great day this upcoming Saturday to eat goose. Now, I'll have a link in the show notes to more information regarding Martin Mass. There's great activities you can do with your children. You know, the carrying of lanterns and the dressing up is a really vivid thing we see in some European countries. Uh, Martin Mass was also very much a, a harvest and a Thanksgiving celebration in medieval times. 
uh, held on this day, November 11th. It was a holiday in Germany, France, Holland, England, and Central Europe. People went first to Mass and observed the rest of the day with games, dancing, parades, and a festive dinner where the main feature of the meal was traditional roasted goose. With the goose dinner, they drank St. Martin's wine, which was the first lot of wine made from the grapes of the recent harvest. Martimas was the festival commemorating filled barns and stocked larders. The actual Thanksgiving Day of the Middle Ages was Martimas. And even today, it is still kept in rural sections of Europe as a day of great celebration. So please take a look at the show notes and prepare as a holiday this upcoming Saturday. It is a Catholic holiday. And of course, because the actual Day falls on a Saturday, and thus we push back the observance of the beginning of St. Martin's Lent. It would certainly be appropriate to also have this celebration this upcoming Sunday on November 12th. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. A lot of great information in today's episode. I hope you've learned something. Please take a a look at the links in the show notes, and please share these around. We need to spread the traditional Catholic faith. We need to help teach people what we've lost, especially these traditions of honoring churches on their dedication, of honoring the saints throughout the octave, of going to cemeteries to pray for the dead. So much has been lost. Let us do what we can to recover it and to spread it to as many people as possible. And of course, we must live it out ourselves too. Ad maiorum. Dei Gloriam.